0: I want to um, begin with a number. If you can put this first slide up here, five hundred and twenty. Five hundred and twenty. This this number could mean anything to you. Maybe you're wondering what this stands for. Um, let, me, let me let me backtrack from this just a little bit. So I'm one of the pastors, one of the elders of this church. Um, been on staff for almost seven years. It's hard to believe seven years has gone by like that. Um, been to this church for about ten years and. I've been married to my wife for uh, about seven and a half years now. And uh, when we got married, I was living here in St. Charles, renting a room with, with a buddy. And she owned a house in Granite City, uh, where we live now. And um, ever ever since, I mean, Mark, in premarital meetings before he married us, already was planting the bug about, so when are you going to move back to St. Charles? When are you going to move back to St. Charles? And, and so it's been like a conversation for many, many years. And... Um, 520 days is, is how many days from January 11th, 2016 to tonight, June 14th, 2017. That's, that's how many days it's been since our house in Granite City has been on the market. Now we, we had a little break, a uh, brief break over the winter time, but, but basically we've been trying to sell this house for 520 days. A lot of time in prayer a lot of we we appealed to the body a year ago last year our family was up here and and if those of you who are in here you you uh saw us prayed over and joined us in praying for the cell of that house well last year came and went and uh the the resounding answer was a no at the time for a variety of reasons i guess um home you know we're we're talking about home a lot uh in our household that this concept of home what makes a good home a healthy home what what makes something more than just a house what what makes it actually a home and so i want to begin tonight just uh, looking at, at this list here right away what makes uh, a good home what, what does a good home provide number one there's shelter from the elements so a good home provides shelter from the rain a few of you i'm very sorry there there are a few leaks on our roof so if you're sitting in a chair and you're not getting shelter from the elements i'm sorry we're trying to provide a good home for you but this is a big roof so you can't keep up with it it's pretty tough but it provides shelter from the elements, uh, safety from harm, number two. Number three, food, water, rest, and other basic needs. You find that in a home. If somebody's not providing that, then then it's just a house. It's, it's not a good home. Uh, number four, supportive atmosphere, loving, care, uh, support, strength. Uh, number five, common rituals. You do common things in, in, in a good household. It, it, there's expectations and there's rhythms. A few nights ago, our, our two oldest boys... Uh, they had a little dance party in our living room. That's part of what they like to do. The two-and-a-half-month-old baby girl Emery can't really dance yet, but we were in there, and I was trying to make her dance. That's one of our rituals. Uh, last thing, number six, is a sense of belonging with family or friends. You, you look at this list, and this is what a good home provides. The reality is many of you didn't have this growing up. Uh, some of you had abundant amount of this growing up, and I, I would say I was one of them i want to take you on just a walk through memory lane to show you what my journey through living at various houses has been like so i want to let you into my life just a little bit and i want to start with with showing you this picture this is the very first house that i grew up in 725 north fifth street it was uh, added on tremendously it's uh, there's no way i would be able to afford the house at this point in time in my life Uh, but 725 north fifth street here in saint charles great catholic neighborhood which meant that there uh, every family had like nine kids so there was ample amount of friends for me to play with uh, fifth street was a great great house uh, next next slide this is 3775 bismarck this is my mom's house she still lives there this is a great house a great house where all these things were provided that, that kind of care and love and provision uh, a lot of kids a lot of friends a, a lot of uh, just things that i could come to expect the, the things that were done that my mom did to take care of me a lot of good memories in that house i lived there from about third grade up until i graduated from high school and, uh, and like i said my mom still lives there so when we go to visit grandma corzine that's that's whose house we go to a uh, third house next house up is this at centennial hall anybody in here from truman state okay so c hall was where i lived Back corner in this, in this uh, giant dorm at the time did not have air conditioning, so it was quite hot, of course, but awesome place. So Centennial Hall was where I spent freshman year. Next picture up is, is this. This is the uh, Alpha Kappa Lambda fraternity house. I had, to pick a, I had to find a picture that didn't have anybody out front. Now, there's pictures we took every year, like, like fraternity-wide pictures, but I couldn't use any of those because any year there, there's, there's a certain chance that somebody's doing something inappropriate in that picture. So I didn't want to take the risk of putting that picture up here and then finding out on the big screen that I had done a terrible, terrible thing. So this house, I would say, uh, from a, uh, at least from a worldly perspective, it provided those things. It provided a ton of fellowship, a ton of camaraderie, a lot of, lot of good times in a, in a limited kind of way. But that's, that's where I was after, after the dorm. Uh, post-college, then, if you move on, you look at uh, this house. This is on Wayland Drive. This is in O'Fallon. This is about two years pre-bursting of the big housing bubble. I took a major hit when it came time to try to sell this house for that exact reason. Uh, but this is where um, another, another fork in the road in my story where, where uh, I've, I've said elsewhere that my life at the time began to fall apart when I lived in this house. And it's not a story for tonight, but I promise you, if you would love to hear it, I'd love to tell it sometime. It's a great, great story. Um, after that, I moved back to uh, St. Charles. This is uh, Nantucket. Uh, The Blantons will live uh, on Nantucket, a few houses down from this. Uh, A good buddy of mine, Ryan, who was not a Christian at the time, let me come in and and stay in one of his rooms for three years. Was a tremendous friend. All these things that provided a good home, I would say I had in this home. It was a wonderful, wonderful experience. I was living in this home when I met Sarah. And uh, after we got married, this became our home uh, you can't see it too well because we have such flourishing trees going on here, but it's, uh, it's 24 Devon Hill. This has been an amazing house for us to live in. It's not huge, but it's not tiny, tiny, small. Uh, it's in good shape. It's in a great neighborhood. We, we love our neighbors. matter of fact, we just got done. Uh, we, had, we were able to tell one of our neighbors uh, just the other night, uh, Mr. Keith, across the street, that uh, we've been praying for him uh, very often. Our family's been doing the seven journey and and so every time, actually now, most of the time when we eat, I'll say, you know, let's pray for our food and Blaine will interrupt me and he said, say, I want to pray for Mr. Keith. So, uh, so we pray for him a lot. Uh, we eat a lot of meals. So Devon Hill has been a, a great house, 520 days from now since the time that we've had this on the market. A lot of, lot of ups and downs in that, a lot of anticipation and excitement, a lot of struggle, a lot of, a lot of heartache, a lot of questioning, uh, some doubting, some wrestling. Um, Lord willing, after, uh, (laughs) this is unbelievable, I I hope you're feeling just the joy inside my heart in this. After July 9th, 19th, sorry, this uh, will be our house in uh, St. Charles. The, um, so the good news is we did sell the original house. (laughs) We're not just like carrying two houses. Um, you know, big stuff seems to always happen when Marco's out of town. His, his family goes to Ecuador, and of course we get an offer on Monday night last week, and then of course we think we're homeless for three days, and then we, we have a contract that's accepted, accepted on this house four minutes away from this building. Got to go over and bring some grandma's cookies to Beulah, who has owned the house for 42 years uh, just the other night. And uh, we're excited to make our home here. Amen. Um, I, I don't know how I could communicate to you how, how joyful it is to to be able to have our family involved with you guys, uh, to not have to drive away in the afternoons to go back home 30 minutes away. Um, we're excited, man, just to be able to get fellowship with you guys to have you over, to hang out, to be involved, to run into you out and about. It's, it's almost humanly impossible for us to run into any of you out and about. And when we do right now, it's kind of scary because you don't expect to see any of you where we live. It's like we have a map of where all of our covenant members live uh, on, in our database, and it's on a Google map, and you get all these red dots everywhere. But then if you scroll over like twice, there's one red dot in Granite City, and that's been where we live. Um, the Lord's been uh, very good to us. in um, for some of you guys, 520 doesn't compare to how long you've been asking for things. Um, and I can tell you that even in the know of last year, that, that was so painful to get back. Uh, things coming out of that, even like the, the likelihood that if we had sold our house at the time and transitioned our life so soon over here, there's a good chance we wouldn't have thought about having more kids. Um, just a variety of things that come into that. We, we see his hand upon us and him guiding us and leading us and uh, he would still be God if it was 521 days. But praise God that he's done an awesome thing in our life. Uh, Because of Jesus Christ, we have access to God's household, his home. And we belong in it. And praise God that he continues to add to it. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. So turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. We've been in Ephesians for a little while now. Craig, Pastor Craig, preached an awesome sermon through uh, the first section that's right before this one last week. And I want to put up this, this, this slide is his summary statement from last week. This is where we pick up. Remembering who you were and who you are now allows you to experience the peace of God. It allows you to experience the peace of God. In verse 17, Paul picks up and it says this, and he came, Jesus came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near." So first of all, what's the big deal about peace? I mean, You've got to wonder, if, if Paul is saying Christ came and preached uh, to these Ephesians, he, he could have said anything, and he came and preached freedom. He came and preached forgiveness. He came and preached grace. But I think Paul has something in mind. He's, he's ascribing something to Jesus that's very, very important. In Isaiah uh, chapter 57, uh, it says this. It says, because of the iniquity of his unjust gain, this is God talking about Israel, I was angry. I struck him and I hid my face and was angry, but he went on backsliding in the way of his own heart. I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and his mourners, creating the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace to the far and to the near, says the Lord, says Yahweh, the covenant God. Paul is saying, this is Jesus and I will heal them. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up mire and dirt There is no peace. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. We can translate this into New Testament language. There is no peace uh, for those who are outside of the faith, for those who don't have faith in Christ. And it may seem sometimes that the world has peace, but I would say it only has fragments of peace. It it can say it has peace, that things are calm, but it's based on their circumstances. It's based on on them being bigger than the thing that's opposing them. But you see... um, Something important happened when Christ resurrected. Something important happened when the church began. And so, you know, Paul says to these, to these Gentiles, to those who, uh, to you who are far off, those, those are Gentiles, and to those who are near, as, as, he's, as he's referring to Jews, that make up this church, to, to the ones who've been, uh, that, that have had close access to God's covenant in the Old Testament, He preached peace to everybody. You know why? Because the Gentiles needed to hear peace. But you know what? The people who thought they were close to God needed to hear peace too because there was something lacking under the old covenant. It was an eternal peace that was yet to come. And Paul says Christ came and proclaimed peace. But I I want to ask this. How did Jesus come and preach peace to them? How do you think about that? I mean, Jesus had been resurrected and ascended for decades before this church in Ephesus had existed. So how did Jesus come and preach peace to them? Number one, after he resurrected from the grave. In John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23, there's a phrase that Jesus says many times. Next slide, he says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. He resurrects, he reveals himself to his disciples, and the very first thing he says is, peace be with you. He uh, goes to the place where the disciples are gathered and where Thomas is waiting for the evidence that he uh, thinks demands a verdict, and Jesus' first thing, he he walks to the room and he says, peace be with you. And in that moment, Jesus Christ is the only person who has ever existed before uh, uh, before or after him. He's the only person who's existed since that's been able to truly say, peace be with you. Because he came from the grave. You see, God gave him over uh, to a bloody death on a cross, died for the atonement for, for, for our sins, every last one of us. And then God rose him from the grave, which means that, in, in Christ's humanness, he faced something that was much bigger than him. But God, being rich in mercy and rich in power, rose him from the grave, vindicated him. So here's the deal. The only person that, like, death is the final thing that brings unpeace, unrest, you know? So the only person that can truly say, Peace, peace be with you, is somebody who has seen death, faced it, took its worst, and passed through the other side, which is exactly where Christ was when he said that. You've got to imagine these disciples uh, shaking in their boots. Because their, their Savior had been crucified, and yet he said that he was going to do this amazing thing through them, and they, they had no idea. They had no idea what, what was going to happen, what was about to happen at the establishment of the church and the spread of the gospel. But Jesus could show up in that moment and say, peace be with you. Second way that Jesus proclaimed peace to them was after Pentecost. Fifty days after Easter, Jesus tells his disciples, and you will be my witnesses, Uh, in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You apostles, you disciples will be my witnesses. You're going to proclaim the gospel to the end of the world. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21, a huge phrase in that. It says, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. And so my folks, uh, here's what I think Jesus is saying. Um, You're going to be the ones through whom I preach. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, as the church grows... I will continue to preach peace to those who are far off and to those who are near. And so if you uh, enter in tonight and, and you're wrestling, feel like you're lacking, feel like you're struggling with a sense of peace, I'm just trying to encourage you that if you're a Christian, you already have it. You may not feel it, but you already have it. It's yours in Christ. And if you're not a Christian, there's a reason why you haven't felt that or why you haven't had that, because you're still facing your enemies. As a Christian, man, the, I, I have the greatest peace because you know what, if that house is on for 1,020 days, it doesn't matter. I have peace. Uh, it doesn't matter who dies. At the end of the day, Christ can say, peace be with you. It doesn't matter what loss. It doesn't matter what hardships we take on. At the end of the day, because Christ has overcame the grave, he can say, peace be with you, and he means it, and it's true. And so Paul has begun to tell them that, that peace was proclaimed by Christ to them who were far off and to those who or near. He continues on in verse 18. He says, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Access, Jew and Gentile, in one Holy Spirit to God the Father. There is no way, there's no subdivision or layers or levels of access that certain people can have to God over others. There's no, there's no uh, priest, there's no pastor, there's no Uh, There's no servant in a church that is in a holier-than-thou place because they do something different. We all have access. uh, Hebrews 10 says, by the blood of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, what Paul says. Galatians, uh, in Galatians, Paul says that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor nor free, male nor female. So there's no ethnicity, there's no gender, there's no economic class there's nothing that will get you ahead in life to give you more access to God than the Holy Spirit that is bestowed on all who believe and have faith in Jesus Christ we have access Paul says in one spirit to the Father in verse 19 he says so then you are no longer talking to the Gentiles at this point you're no longer strangers and aliens but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God your status is different now some big words that, that we need to look at is, is this progression. There's strangers, there's aliens, there's citizens. So a stranger, who's a stranger? A stranger is somebody who just passes through your land. Doesn't stick around too long, but, but he comes in, uh, maybe has a bite to eat, and he keeps going. That's a stranger. He doesn't take residence at all. And that, that's who some Gentiles were. And then some, some could have been called aliens. They, they were from a different place. Uh, they came in they didn't just stick around for a little while. They actually set up a residence, but they still didn't totally belong there. They didn't have full citizenship. They didn't have full rights. They didn't have the the sense of, of a home. They didn't have the sense of belonging because they weren't citizens. A citizen is somebody who has full rights somewhere, somebody who that can't be taken away from, somebody who deserves to be there, somebody who has grounded, who has roots in that place, in that household. Paul says, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now, two words that I believe have double meanings here. It's unbelievable. Now, the word member, if you think member, you're thinking I've got uh, memberships to places, I've got maybe a gym membership, or um, back in the day, I I loved my Blockbuster video membership. That was amazing, okay? One room that had thousands of movies in it, it seemed like you could never top that, okay? And then you take away the room and you add millions of movies, and that's when you get Netflix. So, you know, membership can be that. You, You belong to something. You're, you're a card-carrying member of something. But, but remember, Paul also uses it elsewhere to the Corinthians. He says, you're one body but many members. He's not saying you're one body but many card-carrying people. You're, you're, your hands, your feet, you're, you're different members of a body that are there to be used for a reason. And then the word household, so you know what a household is. We been talking about houses enough. But household, uh, in the Greek, this is, this is crazy, the, root, the, the word for home is oikos, and the word for household is very similar to that. And there, there's a word in Greek that is very similar to the word that we have in English. It, the word in Greek is called oikonomia. And it's a word for stewardship. And it sounds like economy. So Paul is telling them that you Gentiles who had no part in this for a couple thousand years are no longer strangers and aliens. you you belong now, you're saints, you, you're, you're citizens in this place, and you're members, you're, you're being used, you're being stewarded. Who you are is being stewarded for God's purposes in this household. Look at how far you've come. In Christ, uh, I believe every one of us are refugees who've been blessed and welcomed, brought in. None of us deserve to be with them in our own merit. By the grace of God, we belong here, though. So here, here's the deal. Next slide. Um, When was a time you knew you didn't belong? I want to start off with um, maybe some lighthearted examples of that. So I was in college one time, probably living at the AKL house at the time, as you saw. And I'm going to the gas station. I'm getting a soda. I'm going back out to the car. And I I had a white Ford Tempo. Anybody else in here ever have a Ford Tempo? Nope. Probably a reason for that. It was a cool car for a few of us. Um, So I had a white Ford Tempo. And a red interior, red interior, man, it was awesome. And um, so I get in the car, put my key in, I go to turn it and it won't start. And not not only will it not start, like the key won't even turn. And so I'm already frustrated. I'm like, man, these Kirksville mechanics, they rip off college students. I don't want to have to pay more money for some sneaking car repair. And then I look down and I realize that the dash is not red, it's blue. And then I look around and I realize that there's something else in the front seat that's different than what I put in there before. And then I look up in the gas station and I realize that I'm not sitting in my car. (laughs) I'm sitting in a white Ford Tempo that was parked exactly next to my white Ford Tempo. Some random dude at the gas station trying to steal his car, I guess. I didn't belong there. I didn't, as soon as I realized that, I I jumped up like I had spiders on me and I ran out of the car because I didn't want them to think that something was up. It was a little sketchy in Kirksville sometimes. I didn't want them to think I was doing a little grand theft auto. And so I didn't belong there, I got out. Uh, another instance is when I was in uh, Branson about five years ago. We go there every year with Sarah's family. We stay at a, a really, really nice, it's a, it's a good treat to be there. We stay at this like lakeside resort kind of place. And so we're there, we're swimming. Uh, you go in and out, basically just swim all day. You come back for meals and naps and stuff like that. So I'm coming back from a morning, a uh, couple hours of swimming and I'm going in for lunch. And so the back of all of our condos uh, are on this ground level kind of sliding glass door. They all look the same. And so I, um, I'm walking back. I've, I'm just super chill. This is vacation. So I've got like flip-flops, uh, swim trunks, and that's it. I've got a towel around my waist, uh, no shirt on. I'm just going in and getting ready to make a turkey sandwich. And I open the door and I walk in and I kick my sandals off and I look up and I realize that somebody else is sitting on our couch. <laughs> and then I look around and I realize that there's a few other people in the room and they're all staring at me. And then it dawns on me that I walked into the wrong condo while this family, this poor family, is watching TV. And some guy walks in without a shirt on, just kicks his shoes off, and he's going to make himself at home. And so, so of course, I, I couldn't, like, freak out and run away because that would just, so I just slowly put my shoes on and, sorry, i just going to go this way. I didn't belong. I did not belong, and I knew it. Um, for some of you guys, you, you've you been made to feel like you don't belong, and that's too bad. Whether it's because of the way you look, or how much money you don't have, or where you thought you'd be in life, or what kind of job you have. Um, membership in God's household implies two things, and the first thing is this. Because of Christ, home is wherever... God in and his people are, so you belong. Um, the Bible says that God does not dwell in temples made by human hands. Uh, no pearly, shiny temple can keep you away. No curtain uh, lay uh, between you and God anymore. You have full access if you believe in Christ, if you're a follower of Christ, because you belong now. The last time I preached that, I got to introduce this theological concept of just being in Christ, union with Christ. Uh, In Christ, everything that he has is now what you deserve because of what he's earned on your behalf. You belong now. Number two, membership in God's household implies that through the power of the Holy Spirit, all that you are is to be stewarded for God's purposes. Nothing left out. Not 90% of what you are, not 50%, not 10% of what you are gets stewarded for his purposes. All that you are is for his purposes, for his glory. You're a part of his household. You're a part of his stewardship, his economy. You, you're welcomed in by grace, but then you're welcomed in not just to sit still, but to be used, to be active, to bless others, to serve the world around you, to glorify his name. You're a member. You ever feel like you're somewhere where you know you probably don't fit in, but somehow, like, if you're ever, if you're ever scholarshiped in someplace and you knew it, it's like that, but everybody's on scholarship. Like, nobody belongs. And everybody has a debt way much bigger than they could pay, and they don't have to anymore because of Christ. Paul continues on in verse 20. He says uh, he says that this household, God's household, is built on the foundation. It's built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. The foundations are pretty important. Um, back in 2015, we... Called the basement company to come look at our house in Granite City. We had a small crack uh, going horizontally, and that's usually not a good thing. So they came out and looked at it, and we started to pull more and more furniture away. And we realized the crack is is like ninety percent of the width of the house. And so what we thought was going to be maybe like a thousand dollar seal ended up being like a nice little six thousand dollar job to anchor those walls up and do all this stuff that we had no idea what it even meant. But it was time to get it done. If the foundation. Uh, gets shaky, gets weak, that's a bad thing. Now, a foundation is there to hold up what, what, what it's under. Um, a foundation is there to, to keep it stable, to, to keep it solid. And, and Paul says here that uh, the foundation of this household of God is the apostles and prophets, which may seem like a weird answer, to be totally honest. But here's what he's getting at. Um, the apostles were the ones who proclaimed the word of God through the gospel. And the prophets uh, in the Bible are always the people who proclaim the message of the Lord to the people who are his message bearers to them. So, so I think Paul is saying here that the household of God, which is another word for the church, is founded upon the word of God. It's anchored in by it. It's, it's guided by that. It's hemmed in by that. It, it's, uh, it's not rocky. It's not going to get cracks in it. It's not going to fall. It, it, it's sure and it's true. And then, but then he says that Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone. A handful of years ago, we had a team down in Ecuador who laid the cornerstone, got to sign their names on a rock and lay the cornerstone. How how many of you guys are in here, were there on that trip? Anybody here? Yeah, you were there. Some of you guys, I see some hands up there. Um, You got to lay the cornerstone for the very first um, piece of stone that was put in the ground for this Lasso property that our friends in Ecuador do ministry. And now it's amazing to look at what is there, but to think back on before everything else was there, the cornerstone was laid. It's pretty amazing. A cornerstone exists... You lay it down, and then all of the orientation and direction of the walls and what happened are affected and guided by where the cornerstone lays. All of, all of the, the orientation of the house, it, 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 the cornerstone means everything. So Christ Jesus is the cornerstone. Christ Jesus is the one that affects where everything else, all where all the other stones go. It affects uh, how the temple looks. It affects how the household is shaped. And uh, the question I want to raise up in this, and for my own life and for yours is, is the Word of God is the Scripture, and the way of Jesus Christ really essential to all that we do? Every every once in a while, I, I like to ask myself a question: If I stopped being a Christian, would it really change my life? Is is the Scripture essential to everything that you do? I mean, I, I'm like at day two hundred and fifty on this house, and I'm going crazy. I'm so I'm, I'm I'm racking my brain. I'm I'm reading wisdom literature. How do I how do I handle this? Like how do I get into how do I handle this well? Uh, seeking the counsel of the elders last week, I was, I think they could tell I was kind of freaking out at times because this thing like really happened and then we got big decisions to make, uh, but, but they gave counsel that was, that was uh, seasoned and guided and the blessing of God's word in my life. Um, and the way of Jesus Christ, if you read the gospels, does the Jesus that you read about in the Bible look anything like the trajectory of your life? And there are times when, when I would say, yes, it's no doubt. And I'm, I'm ready to go wear the T-shirt and go uh, tell it on the mountain. But there are other times when uh, I want to do my thing. And where I want my life to, like, I want the resurrected Jesus, but I'm not willing to go through the crucified one to get there, right? So I'm not willing to lay down my own life to get to this place of glory. But that's what he commands of us. That's what he calls us to do. In verse 21. Paul continues on. He says, In whom, in Christ, the whole structure, not just some of the prettier stones, all the stones, by the way, are shinier and more beautiful and purified than you can ever imagine, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. A holy temple in the Lord. So here's what's happening. As people are being saved, come to faith in Christ, you have to imagine that you're a brick, you're one brick. And uh, by itself, even if it's like a golden brick, like think of Solomon's temple, like an amazing looking edifice. One brick would have been awesome. It even could have been a huge brick, but it's still just one brick. But what Paul is saying is that as God saves more and more people, uh, th- every uh, individual that comes to Christ is is saved into being a part of this household, this structure that's growing into being a temple. Paul says elsewhere that your body's a temple, a temple of the living God. And so we... We have to face the fact that something amazing is happening around us and through us and with us. I, you may walk in here and you think, man, this is, a, this is maybe a great church or maybe some of you think it's okay or maybe, maybe some of you identify with people here, I don't know. But um, if I were to tell you, if I, if I was going to tell you my bird's eye view right now and if I looked out and said this is what the temple of, of the living God looks like, that would be kind of a surprising statement. But in his his sovereignty, in his provision, in his grace, this is exactly what he wanted by his own free nature, his own free will. This is what he wants his temple uh, to look like, to start with these building blocks and to work from there. Um, What's the temple used for? If we're being built into a temple, a holy temple, a set-apart temple for his purposes, I see a a temple in, in Scripture used for two things. Number one, it provides a space for focused worship of God alone. So you walk in here, and nobody else is being worshipped up here. No building is being worshipped up here. No style, No nobody in here uh, deserves any more glory than another person, except for the worship of, of God himself. I mean, we're worshipping something that's incomparable to everything else. Number two, a temple provides a place where men and women meet God. In John chapter four, um, a woman woman from Samaria meets Jesus at a well and they start talking about worship and she uh, she 's from a, a people group who 've basically been cast off by the Jews because they they decided not to come down to Jerusalem and worship and they built all these other little temples and high places and altars way back up north so that they could stay up there it 's like the first suburban like River City rascals. Experience, but like instead of baseball, it's worship. And so they decided, we're not going to go to your ballpark. We're going to build one out here in St. Charles County. That's kind of what they did, but it was way more evil than that. So the, uh, so the woman tells Jesus, she says, um, I've heard it said that in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. And so Jesus, he tells her, he said, woman, the, the hour is coming when the true worshipers of God will worship in spirit and truth. I think Jesus is saying, woman, uh, Jerusalem is about to get a whole lot bigger. And uh, it's not going to be able to be contained by some building. It's not going to be able to be um, housed by, by what man de- determines to be beautiful. But God is doing a global thing where he's about to spread this. It's going to go crazy. And so, praise God that the temple has not stopped growing. Uh, we, can, we can be under some, some lie or some spell at times to think that, that God's work of building a temple is like, we can just see how it's all happening here at Matthias's lot. I'm not going to lie to you. God is doing amazing things in this church body, and we are blessed. We just, I was able to baptize two young children last uh, last week. It was amazing to to celebrate uh, faith coming to more and more people in this church. It's amazing to see what's happening. But what is happening around the world right now um, is is really hard to describe without going crazy. Um, God is doing amazing things right now in unreached people groups, in in Muslim people groups, in, in Hindu people groups, in Buddhist people groups, and secular, uh, Western Europe. I mean, he's he's doing amazing things where people, for no other reason than by the power of the Holy Spirit, they are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And especially in some of the hardest to reach places, it's happening in masses. You can read a lot of books that will tell you that more amazing stuff is happening than we get to have perspective on here. Because for us, it's easy to think that, well, we just go to church and there's kind of churches everywhere and it's, it's expected, like, in Granite City, where I live, there, there are more churches than there's, like, gas stations. There are so many churches. There's only 35,000 people that live there, and there's so many churches. Um, and it's the same thing here. I grew up in St. Charles my whole life, and there are so many churches that you can be underwhelmed when you think about the move of God and what he's doing. And so I want to I actually clue you in on something. Share something uh, that is a very, very special opportunity this church gets to be a part of. Um, For the last um, couple of years, there's been small teams that have been able to go to a particular conference uh, that uh, facilitates the interactions between missionaries in unreached uh, uh, southern Muslim Philippines um, with Western churches who are supporting them and partnering with them and caring for them and praying for them. And uh, we've been blessed over the past uh, however many years to begin to trickle into being involved into this um, and I hope you're in here. Uh, wherever Daryl and Becky Martin are, I, I'm i just so blessed. And I'm blessed because, uh, and, and you all should be blessed because we have two career missionaries full-time who do this work. They spend all their time connecting Western churches to unreached uh, missionaries and unreached people groups. I mean, with the mindset that there's enough churches that I mean, the whole world could be reached in a generation if we all... If we all did this, you know, if we all just got to it right now, it could happen. Uh, So for the many years that you guys uh, continue to, and have continued to be committed to the work in in that part of the world, thank you. But there's a very special team that I want to tell you about, and I've already asked Justin to delete this from the recording uh, after it happens. Because you see by us sharing about this, it it puts them at risk, Uh, their lives are in danger, and... Uh, they're not apologizing for that, nor are they asking for anybody to feel sorry for him for that. So, God is uh, not done. He's not done around the world, but he's also not done with us tonight. He's got one more verse in Ephesians chapter 2. Last verse, verse 22. He says, In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So in him you Gentiles... Uh, you Gentiles in the Middle East, you Gentiles, could say to us, in North America, you Gentiles in Asia, all gen, people all over the world are being built into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The work is God's. We are not building anything. I mean, we can build a building. We can set up chairs. We did set up chairs today, a few of us. Um, we can do that work, but we can't really build the building. We can't build the temple. That's God's work. He's the one who's saving. He's the one who's communicating faith And Jesus Christ to more and more people every day. So He is doing that work. It's a it's it's a a passive work on our part, but it's active on His part, and He's doing that. But I'm just going to level with you. If if you're like me and you read that God is dwelling within His church, He's doing this so that He can dwell within us. Is quite a scary thought. It's a really daunting thought because I wonder, man. Like I don't know that I always feel like God is like in my midst. How does this work out? Well, I'll say this next slide. If God dwells within you, because you may be trying to figure out where you fit into this. If God dwells within you, you are neither the object of worship. You're not the show. You're not the deal. But you're also not, to quote a great Pink Floyd song, you're also not just another brick in the wall. There is, a, there is somewhere between that where we rest. So we don't need to be worshipped in order to come here tonight. Uh, we worship him alone. At the same time, coming in here tonight you're not just one brick, something that's meaningless. We have a wall full of bricks on this left side over here. If you take out one brick, the foundation, the, the, the wall itself begins to get shaky and things come in the inside. Every one of you in Christ are valuable, are loved, are cared for, are, have a place in what God is doing in his household, have gifts, have, have things, have time, have resources, have desires, have your life to steward for him and he's brought you into here for his purposes. So we're not the object of worship, but we're also not just nothing. Uh, We are somebody, we're not the somebody, but we are are somebody in Christ because he's given us grace, amen? But there are implications on the church if God is uh, dwelling in us. Number one, together when people enter, they experience God's presence. When people walk in tonight, do they experience the presence of the Lord? Because God is dwelling within us by the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, where three or more of you are gathered, I'm there. He says that for a reason, because when when, when you just look at one brick, it might just look like a brick, but when you get a few bricks together, you start to see that something has, has been built, something, they're walking into something, they're, they're encountering uh, the love of the Father in there. When people walk in, they experience God's presence. Number two, the dwelling place provides structure. So this church... Uh, whether it's here on Wednesday night, whether it's on Sunday morning, so you can think about the lot family environment. Uh, the structure that we give is, is because every good house is supposed to provide shelter, safety, and structure. Uh, so we, we have an order of worship. We seek to be guided by the word. We seek to, to, to do things um, guided by what he wants, believing that there is a certain way uh, that he wants us to do this. He's not a God of confusion, but a God of peace, a God of order. Number three, uh, the responsibilities change when guests become members. Now, you may know what it's like to show up someplace and just to be treated, but when that guest, and praise God, we had, we had two people who were guests in our law family on Sunday. It was just such a blessing to meet them and to get to know them a little bit. But when you have guests that begin to still act like they're guests a few months later, it's not so, um, it's not so joyful. You know, when you put your muddy shoes up on the couch, you realize, hey, why don't you take your muddy shoes off? You, you, you're no longer a guest. Why don't you contribute to this kind of thing? When you... Uh, become a member of the guests um, your status changes number four the dwelling place is a party house now you got to remember this i lived in a party house okay and i have no idea why the world thinks it has a monopoly on joy and partying because most of my fraternity brothers did not have peace It, it was an escape you know what i'm talking about it was an escape now, that's not, that's not peace, that's not joy, that's running away. But for the church to come together, if people are going to experience God's presence, are they going to experience a party, are they going to experience something joyful, or are they going to experience somebody who's going to say, get off my lawn and get out of here, get out of my house, you know, it's my house. No, the opportunity that people have when they walk in here is not to say, man, they look like awesome people, but to say, my goodness, I can tell that God is doing something among those people. God has done something. I heard story after story after story of people who are talking about evidence for the power of God in their life and ways that they've received this tremendous gift of grace that they never deserve. The dwelling place of God's household is a party house. And lastly, number five, the doors and windows are meant to be kept open. So my friend who I roomated with uh, last year in the Philippines, um, He was blessed uh, to not have to worry about who was going to hear outside. And I, I mean, there's people that show up to the stoplights and their windows are down and their music is high. And I would almost be telling the truth when I would say, I hate those kind of people. That's not who I am. Okay. I'm like the kind of guy that turns the music down and I like roll the window up and look forward. But the reality is I've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. I have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I'll just say it again. I've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. My sin is not counted against me. I have peace with God, and that means that I have peace with other people who have peace with God. That means that my life has a totally new trajectory now. That means that I've been given a gift that I could never pay back, and God just wants me to rest in that. He has preached peace uh, to me, and I have it. And it doesn't matter the next obstacle that comes my way. Jesus Christ is still Lord of all creation. And so because that is true, everything else falls from that. Um, the reality is that we often fall short of these things. Uh, This household that Paul speaks about in Ephesians, this household that we try to be in this particular local church body, the household that we're blessed to be a part of and support around the world as God continues to move in places like Ecuador and the Philippines, it's amazing, but it's not perfect. Uh, We fall short. People talk about getting burned by the church because we're still human beings. Uh, But, um, We long for a day, and we, I would say it's more than longing, we anticipate a day when uh, all of this is totally fulfilled. So the household of God today and the household of God in eternity, um, they're not the same thing. And today is good. I am blessed to be a part of this church, and I count it an honor to to be a part of this church. But the reality is, is what God has for me and you, for the temple, one day, uh, Everything else pales in comparison. Jesus said, In my father's house are many rooms, many rooms. So many rooms. Revelation 21. Revelation 21 gives us a foretaste of this. It says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband and behold a loud voice from the throne saying behold the dwelling place of god is with man this is a loud joyful triumphant voice he will dwell with them and they will be his people and god himself will be with them as their god he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away Here's my encouragement tonight for you and, and for me. Don't worship tonight because um, just because of what God has done for you, which Craig talked about last week. My encouragement is to step forward, to step to the throne of God and to worship because of what God will continue to do until it's finished. The household of God is not done being built. The gospel is spreading to more and more places around the world right now at this moment. It's spreading to more and more households in this very city and we get to be a part of that. And whatever happens with his mission, he has done something, for those of you who are in Christ, he has done something that cannot be compared to anything else. It is amazing the peace that he's given you. He's the only one that could speak it and he's the only one that could do what he did to secure it. So church, tonight we have an opportunity to worship, not because we are awesome, but because we've found peace by the one who defeated death. That's our hope tonight. God, I pray that you would bless my brothers and my sisters with, God, just a deep-founded joy a joy uh, that didn't, doesn't have to be mustered up, a joy that doesn't need to be conjured. God, I thank you for making alive what was dead. God, I thank you for overcoming our sin. I thank you for overcoming our faithlessness. God, thank you for giving us faith through the power of the Holy Spirit and for guiding us and giving us access to you, not just tonight, but for forever in Christ now. God, I pray for those who have stood outside the house for so long thinking that they would never deserve to be welcomed in. I pray that you would share the welcome, that you would show them that none of the rest of us ever deserved it. God, we thank you that you've changed us. God, we thank you that you're not done working on us, and we thank you that you're faithful to your plan.